All right, everyone, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the uh, Wednesday, February 22nd edition, uh, last Wednesday of February. So thankful for uh, you guys joining us tonight. Uh, we have on with us tonight John Belsky. Uh, he is the uh, meteorologist at WLKY in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we're going to be talking about weather folklore and uh, a lot of interesting stuff about folklore. You hear all these different sayings and I just don't know how much uh, validity you can put into it. So tonight, John has uh, wrote this great book, Backyard Weather Folklore, and uh, he's kind of got all the folklore in here. So we're going to talk about some of the uh, more uh, topical ones and, and uh, discuss the, the accuracy of those. And uh, while you're watching tonight, if you have any folklore that uh, you would like to ask, you know, maybe does it always snow after a thunderstorm in the wintertime or what exactly does the woolly worm mean? Uh, and those things like that. Go ahead and uh, send those in to us. You can uh, send those in via our Twitter uh, account uh, at Carolina WX, or you can send them on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll look through those throughout the show and uh, make sure that we can send them to John. And uh, if you're listening on the uh, podcast after the show has um, aired live, you can uh, we'll let John promote his social media at the end of the show, and uh, you can direct those questions to him afterwards. So. Uh, that is tonight. Next week, uh, we do start the uh, National uh, Weather Podcast Month. So um, before we end the show tonight, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So uh, I hate that I missed last week's show, but it was a really great show. I was able to uh, catch some uh, some bits and pieces of it as I was traveling and uh, really got a lot of good reviews from it. So uh, very thankful for Tim coming on last week. A great show uh, from him as uh, the guys talked about the GO satellite. So I think that's about enough housekeeping that I've got. Uh, here in the Carolinas, it's um, warm, just like it's warm everywhere else. Um, did have a little bit of rain that moved through the area earlier today. And watching towards the end of the week, a few thunderstorms may uh, roll through the area uh, on Friday. And um, nothing severe for us, but as you go into the Ohio Valley, that's where it uh, looks like the, uh, the majority of the severe weather is going to be. So uh, just another warm February week here in Western North Carolina, and we cool down this weekend, and then we warm right back up. So looks like spring has sprung early, and that is okay with me. So uh, with that, I'm going to toss it down to another place that's really warm, and that's uh, Shay Gibson, who is in Charleston tonight. Shay, how's everything down in the uh, low country? Pretty warm and mild today, a little bit muggy. We, we were expecting some showers that really held to our south over Savannah. They had, I think they broke a record for a day, uh, day's worth of rain. Uh, we have about 75 degrees we topped out at, so we're gonna we'd like to stay in a very mild pattern. Like as you said, a small cold snap this weekend, and then we warm right back up. Looks like we're gonna transition right into spring. I mean, that doesn't mean we won't have a cold snap or two, but for the most part, we're watching uh, a weak La Nina transition to an, an enso neutral phase, which basically means the pattern's going to stay like this for a while, where you have basically a west to east propagating jet stream that sort of keeps the pattern in place. It, it promotes a little bit more. Uh, low pressure in our area. So right now, down in the Gulf, we have an area of low pressure that's bringing a lot of moisture atmospherically uh, over the southeast region up with the southerly winds. Uh, we've we've just had one Bermuda or Bahamian high after another that just keeps this warm air pumping. In fact, I did a blog today about the cannonball jellyfish, which migrate up from the south uh, usually in about a month from now. So they're here about 20 to 30 days early. And that is uh, kind of significant for the area because it shows that the sea surface temperatures are warming. They're, uh, they're here in the upper 50s to near 60 degrees sea surface temperatures, and normally they thrive in upper 60s to low 70s. So the southerly winds are really pushing them up the coastline uh, early this year. Sea breezes have been stronger than we've 
I think I've ever seen in February for Charleston for the most part. And uh, it, it's just really interesting to see what's going on. I mean, we really do have an early spring here. The pollen's out, uh, plants are budding, flowers are blooming, bees are out. I mean, you name it. We're, we're in spring mode here, Scotty, back to you. Yeah, and if you can see um, this graphic that I have pulled up, oh, I lost it there for a second. Can you guys see it now? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. Okay, oh, good. All right. So yeah, as Shay was talking about, things have really, uh, really taken off early. As you can see, much of the southeast is a good fifteen to twenty days um, uh, ahead of schedule. With this is uh, the daily spring leaf index anomaly. So uh, this is uh, really showing you just how much. Um, update that here for a second. I seem where I said February seventh. <laughs> I hope that's, this is not an old link that I have, but uh, I don't think it is because this is uh, what I've seen a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, anyways, this is uh, the spring anomaly. So as you can see, everything is really blooming um, ahead of schedule. So uh, just uh, just another uh, another warm spring here in the uh, southeast. And like you were talking about, Shay, I can really feel it with the pollen. Uh, I know a lot of people are, are dealing with allergies early, so it uh, looks like it may be a a long spring for those allergy sufferers as well. So. No, no, you're absolutely right. The National Phenology mm -hmm. Network, uh, they actually did a newer one from February the 21st, which was yesterday, showing that that leaf, that first leaf out, is actually migrating further north. So uh, most places are 20 days ahead of ahead of schedule for spring. Yeah, so um, for you allergy sufferers like me, I, I hate it. It's gonna be a long, long spring for us. So. <laughs> Uh, let's bring in our guest, John, uh, who is up in Louisville, Kentucky. John, are you guys experiencing any uh, leaf blooms or any flowers or anything? We, we are. And we're one of those cities. I think it's about three weeks uh, ahead of normal. Uh, hello, guys. Uh, good to be here with you this evening. And, uh, yeah, we've got uh, – uh, well, the crocuses have been blooming for over a week now, and uh, some of the uh, bushes are leafing out, which I've never seen happen in February before. Uh, it's just uh, incredible. Uh, you know, for, there was a lot of first going. We uh, we had a record high here of 73 today, two days in a row in the 70s. Uh, at this point, I think we're at our eighth warmest winter and our warmest February ever. In fact, uh, we're we're on a historical uh, run here in Louisville. In September, we had our uh, sixth warmest September. Then we had our warmest October ever. Then we had our seventh warmest November ever. Now December was you know regular month, but January was um, January is the ninth warmest ever. And now we're at our warmest February. So five of the last six months are top ten warmest for that in, you know particular months. And I, I don't think that's ever happened here before. So there's a yeah, lot yeah. of hot air coming from somewhere. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's those uh, Bahamian highs, the, the old southeast ridge that's doing it to us here. <laughs> yeah, fourth uh, fourth warmest July, January. Sorry, January here uh, in the Charleston yeah. area. So. Pretty widespread coverage then. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're looking long term. I mean, it does look like we may cool off a little bit as we go into March, but um, it looks like. Hey, 1993. Here. 1993, right. like March, was it 13th? The storm of the century, the blizzard. That's right. Birmingham right. had, what, a foot? Atlanta was shut down. I remember, I, never, uh, I remember the hundreds of hikers that were stranded in the Smoky Mountain National Park. So you never know. March Madness. That was a very interesting storm. I was here. We had we had flurries here in Charleston, which was very oh, surprising wow. for March. Yeah. And sure. winds in excess of seventy miles per hour consistently 
uh, above tropical storm force strength. In fact, I think that was a record on our all-time lowest tide ever of like minus four feet wow. or something. Huh. It was it was amazing. Creeks just completely emptied out with that offshore wind around that low. Huh. And then I know Florida had a pretty bad severe weather outbreak with that. And I, I think the was it Mount Mitchell had 50 inches mm -hmm. of snow, yeah. Yeah. something like that. So just uh, I just thought I'd throw that in since uh, it's not always warm forever in spring. I hope we don't get anything like that this year, but uh, you never know sometimes. That's right. You, you never know. And you can't ever let your guard down too early because we still have meteorological spring starts March the 1st for all of you out there. And then uh, March the 20th at 629 p.m., no, a.m., uh, Eastern Standard Time is when the spring equinox begins. Yeah, so, uh, and it always it always seems like we do get that cool spell somewhere between March and April, at least here in the Carolinas, you always get that killing frost or freeze um, somewhere halfway through the through the spring season, so. Yeah, here in, here in Louisville in uh, 2007, uh, the last of March, last week of March, we had like six days in the 80s, and then we got into April, and we had three nights in a row in the teens, and it was the worst agricultural uh, disaster of modern times uh, because, I mean, everything, all the blooms were out and everything was destroyed. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping we don't get in that type of situation this year. Or, I mean, you know, up, up our way here, there's some years our last freeze is the first week of March. And other years, you know, it doesn't happen until the last week of April. So I'm hoping it's early this year since everything's already leafing out. Yeah, and that, that brings up a good point. I, I seen earlier um, this week one of the local strawberry farms already had strawberry plants budding out. So wow. um, definitely, uh, uh, strawberries is a big crop here in, in the southeast. So you definitely don't want uh, to see that um, that crop take a, a, a hit if we do get cooler. So, um, which kind of brings us to our topic tonight, John. Uh, before we kind of dive into weather folklore, kind of give uh, your first time guest so. Can you give us the background of, of what what the weather world's been like for you, what the journey's been like so far in the weather enterprise, and maybe <laughs> start off how you got interested in weather, because we all have one of those stories. Well, and, you know, I've, I've thought of that a lot over the years, and I really think it has to do when I was about five years old, uh, remembering back uh, when I was born, my parents moved from the East Coast out to St. Louis, and my mom was scared to death. Of storms. In fact, when I was two years old, our house was almost hit by a tornado. And after that, every thunderstorm we ever had didn't have to be severe. Just as soon as the lightning started popping, she'd grab up all the kids and take us down the basement. So it was like I was spending half my childhood down the basement. So I think something in that made me think, I got to find out why I'm spending so much time down the basement here. That's how I got. It. I think that's how I really got interested in weather because you know, I mean, you know, us, us weather geeks. I mean, we, you know, we've. Follow, I've followed it, you know, from day one. It seems like from at least a very young age. So uh, I now, when I was in high school, our high school in St. Louis uh, built a uh, radio station, and so I was the uh, dr director of engineering. I helped wire it and get us on the air, and I was also the director of weather. So I wrote up the weather forecast every day. Uh, this and that was back in 1973. And then I went to the University of Missouri uh, my junior year in school. Um, and I, I was doing some radio DJ work, and my junior year in school, um, got a call from uh, the local station, uh, and it was it was run by the, the news department was run by the journalism department at University of Missouri, but the weather department was independent of that. It was just part of the station. Anyway, they say, hey, look, we heard you're in weather school, and uh, you know we uh, we've heard you on the radio. We like what we hear. Did you ever think about doing weekend weather? We got an opening. 
And I'd said, you know, until that point, I'd never thought about being on TV. And I told him, I said, now nah, it's not in my works. So I was going to try to either go with a weather service or possibly be, you know, a broadcast engineer. Uh, that's what I was gearing toward. And they said, well, you know, why don't you come on down? And, you know, I did an audition and everything. And they said, you know, I, I still turned them down. And they said, can you do it for a few weeks till we find somebody? So I said, yeah, because I said, you know, 20 years from now, I can say, hey, hey, I can remember 20 years ago, you know, I was on the TV doing the weather. And, uh, well, here I am today still doing weather uh, so many years later. So uh, eventually I, uh, I got a weekend position uh, in St. Louis. Uh, and then uh, in 1979, moved to Louisville here and uh, worked in the 1980s. I worked at WLKY. And then uh, for about 22 years, I went to Wave TV in town here. Uh, I quit completely for a couple of years, and then I'm back part time now at WLKY, back where I back to my roots, uh, and uh, just uh, enjoying enjoying life and uh, still doing some weather. So it's it's always in my blood here. I, you know, I always laugh. One of the first things I do in the morning is either uh, you know uh, get on the old iPad or call, turn on the weather radio and uh, check on the weather. After all these years, still doing it. That's it. Once once you catch the weather bug, it's hard to get rid of. So, um. and well, and I was very fortunate. I mean, to me, to me, it was a hobby, and to be paid for something that I for so many years, you know, that I enjoyed so much. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I hope you know there's a lot of people out there watching and listening that you know have the same case in in their line of work that uh, they're they're so fortunate like I've been. I didn't mean to leave anybody speechless there. No, no, no. I was waiting on Scotty. I was waiting on Scotty to, uh, to carry. <laughs> my, my side of it. Put somebody to sleep. <laughs> no, no, my side glitched up there. It froze for a minute, so okay. I was, I was, um, I was, I was there. I just it froze up on my end. So you gotta love technology. Well, before we totally go into folklore, is is there anything, any storm event, any uh, uh, system that you covered throughout your career that kind of really just just reminisce that, that that you think back on even to this day. Well, uh, uh, to me, uh, along my whole career, one of the things I enjoyed the most was in the '90s uh, when uh, Bill Clinton was president. And of course, uh, Vice President Gore uh, was uh, very strong on uh, global warming. Uh, they decided to have a, a conference. Uh, they invited about 75 weathercasters to uh, the White House, and I was fortunate enough to be picked. So I got to sit in on a global warming uh, seminar. Uh, with the president and vice president, so uh, that's that's something I'll I'll never forget. There, um, uh, the you know, I was always stuck in the studio, you know, during severe weather, so I never got to go out and do the tornado chasing. But there was one night, uh, I was I was uh, scheduled to speak at a dinner about thirty miles outside of Louisville, big one of these annual dinner events for this organization, and uh, there was a line of severe weather moving in, but it was forecast just to be you know maybe an isolated severe thunderstorm warning, and we had someone else in the station to cover it. So, you know, I made a decision, I'm going to go ahead and do this dinner. So I'm halfway through my speech, and uh, this is back in the days of pagers. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, <laughs> I'm, I'm dating myself here. Uh, it says, call station immediately, emergency. I'm like, oh. So I called, and they said, we're getting tornado warnings in the western viewing area. Can you come back? So I said, yeah. So I wrapped the speech up. So I'm, I'm driving back. So I'm about 20 miles north of Louisville, and all of a sudden, the interstate is covered in debris. And the, my car is almost being blown off the interstate there. And I look up, and there's the tornado passing right over the interstate, right in front of me. It was, wow. I mean, it was amazing. And, and it's, uh, you could see it came down and touched down on the other side of the interstate. And actually, where it hit, right where it touched down, there was a fatality right there. So I was probably like a couple hundred yards 
from being killed with that tornado from where it had touched down because it actually did kill somebody. So, um, so I was, I was obviously late getting back to the station for the severe weather coverage, but I was, I was glad I was alive there. So, you know, an event like that, uh, you know, st st will stand out uh, in your mind, something like that there. So th those are a couple instances over the years. Uh, a lot of, a lot of good times, a lot of good memories. So. Speaking of severe, speaking of severe weather coverage, that was a, a topic at the conference I was at last week. How have you seen it progress from from what it used to be to now? Um, funny oh. stat, funny stat. I, I I was out in Oklahoma City, and they said during severe weather days out there, mm. severe weather coverage on any of the four main network stations draws better ratings than watching oh, yeah. the Super Bowl. So wow. how how have wow. you seen severe weather coverage progress from let's say the early well, '90s till now? Yeah, I think the, the key thing is, uh, you know, how much you go on the air and uh, and what you have to show. Because, I mean, again, I started my career in pre-radar days. There was no radar to show on TV even. So what are you going to talk about? You don't. You didn't, we didn't do that. But even uh, as recent as 19, let me tell you a story from 96. Um, we had a tornado that had touched down during the news, 6 o'clock news, and it lifted back up. And it was moving into Jefferson County, which is the county Louisville's in. And I said... You know, at the end of the news, I said, we're tracking this. If this comes back down, we'll be on the air. Well, sure enough, 640, the tornado touches down. And so I said, we're dropping NBC Nightly News and doing nonstop coverage. I told the crew. And they said, oh, no, we never, we never drop Tom Brokaw. You just don't interrupt Tom. You run something at the bottom of the screen. I said, this is, this is bad. And so we, you know, so we did it. And so uh, there were three of us in there, and I mean, this was actually turned out to be the worst tornado in the country in '96, and far as far as damage, over a thousand homes were heavily damaged or destroyed uh, in the Louisville metro area, on the far southern suburbs. Uh, and fortunately, only about 37 in injuries, and most of those were minor and no fatalities. But we were about 45. Here's a strange thing, because again, back in those days, at least in Louisville, you know, we didn't interrupt like that. About 45 minutes in, um, one of the guys was on the, on the, uh, on the air, and I, I grabbed Tom, and I said, let's see what the other stations are doing. Because, you know, we're up there with the radar, and, the, you know, the turbulence is flashing, and this and that. Uh, one station's got Wheel of Fortune on, and one station had uh, election returns on, because it was primary night. And the other station just had, I don't know what it was, Beverly Hillbillies or something or other. So, so I mean, so it was like, then all of a sudden, I, my first thought was, are we blown us out of proportion? But it's like, no, because we had just taken a call on the air from a lady screaming and crying that the whole neighborhood behind her was gone. Every home was gone. And so, you know, we all got back on the air instantly. But, uh, I mean, that's how it was. Other stations were running tornado information on the bottom of the screen, and it was written in the paper. They took the unusual step of interrupting programming for two hours, you know, which no one really did back then. Now, you know, it, I mean, even a few years after that, uh, it was like, that's all you do. It's a tornado, you're on. Of course, not everybody likes that. If uh, your favorite show is on, and especially if the tornado is not for your county, you know, I mean, and that, that's a whole other story there. But, uh, but it's better to be, you know, be on the air with that. And, you know, if it saves lives, that's great. And because, you know, there have been cases where people haven't been on the air and lives have been lost, and we don't ever want to go through that again. So Exactly, yeah. Sorry to get off on, on the severe weather talk. But no, it was... but, but it, it gives you an idea of how it's progressed over the years. I mean, you know, for people who are young now, who think, whoa, not going on the air during a tornado warning, that's ridiculous. Well, that's, that's how it was, you know, 25 years ago in many locations. Maybe not in Oklahoma City, but in many other locations. Uh, and in some areas, even more recent than that. 
I think, and I, I've got it written down somewhere, but I think the first time they went live with, with the storm was 1993, 94. So. Okay. All right. Well, see, 96 is, you yeah. know, with that. Oh, here's another real quick story in, uh, I think this, uh, I don't. I think this was in 05, 04, um, There was we had Memorial Day tornadoes here, and we'd had warnings during the afternoon. That was the day that the Indianapolis 500 finished in Indianapolis uh, under a tornado warning. Uh, mm -hmm. But we were at, we were getting kicked here in Louisville. We had several damaging tornadoes in the viewing area, and then you know we had we were on the air for six straight hours, and then went back to program where we said another squall line is coming through about 11:30 at night. And sure enough, here it came with more tornado warnings and a couple of touchdowns even. And so at midnight, when the ratings came out, um, and I think Friends had recently just gone. You, you all remember Friends, TV show Friends? Mm -hmm. Yes. Please say yes. yes. <laughs> well, Friends was huge. Well, the final episode for Friends was like Super Bowl ratings, all right? It was huge, and at least here in Louisville. Well, our severe weather coverage at midnight had a higher rating than the finale of Friends did, you know, a, a few wow. days before uh, during, you know, eight o'clock in prime time or whenever it was on there. So, that, you know, that's an Oklahoma City type of state. I mean, people, everybody stayed up late. They're getting their weather information. And that's what, you know, that's that's what's supposed to be all about there. Yeah. See, we get that along the coastline when we have hurricanes. Hurricane Matthew was sure. another one of those. But it yeah. was really it was really odd because uh, this time around when Matthew was coming, you'd think that all the local news stations and everybody would have nothing but talk about Matthew going on. Well, not so much. I mean, they, more shows were on some of these channels and then they would cut in during commercial oh, wow. breaks and yeah. update update during commercial breaks. Now, but, how far away was this from like the bad part hitting? Oh, was well, it, I, think, it as it, I think as it drew closer and closer, the coverage yeah. became more and more. Of course, yeah. you know, everybody did a fantastic job here, but it was, um, it was just really, you know, the social media scene, everything, but what we were talking about progression, um, when it comes out of the national network, uh, I didn't see very much on CNN, Fox about it. I mean, mm -hmm. that that's just kind of how things are going. And so we, we're seeing the transition from that to all of us alerting all of our audiences. And so all the buzz is on social media and, uh, you know, Weather Channel, of course, and Weather Nation, uh, you know, those are the the syndicated. Well, I don't know about Weather Nation. I think Weather Channel is more syndicated than in, than Weather Nation. But they they cover the gamut on that. So I think that the the but you're right. It's social media that plays such a big part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Here's a, here's some trivia for you. The first person to use weather radar on on a on continuous hurricane coverage was in Houston, and it was Dan Rather. He was news director at the C. I think it was the CBS station in Houston. And he pulled his old radar out of an aircraft, and you, you know, you could see. Whoops, knocked my mic over. Sorry about that. But it was, you know, the, the thing, the antenna. You could see the spinning around, and they drew up the coastline on the glass where you see the coastline was, and you could see the feeder bands coming in, and and they just kept that on for hours, and then people were mesmerized because they had never seen radar with a hurricane before on TV live like that. And of course, Dan went on to become CBS Evening News anchor for a number of years there, but. Uh, yeah, so he, he he's a big name in weather coverage in my book, at least. I did not know that. I learned. See, so you learn something every day. Yeah, so. I learned too. I didn't know. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. We'll have to see if we can get Dan Rather on the show. There you That's go. Way to do that. Well, John, let's talk about uh, weather folklore. What? Sure. Uh, it, it's it's a topic that everyone loves to talk about. I mean, uh, here we a couple of weeks ago we had thunderstorms move through and, and dead in the winter, so. 
obviously people's like, well, it's going to snow in 10 days because that's what that's they've right. always that's, heard. That's that's the phrase. Thunderstorm so, in the winter, snow in 10 days. Yeah. So well, I mean, that's us. not going to work like if you live in Florida, but if you live in a, you know, a more moderate climate, you know, obviously if it's, if it's, if it's strong enough for the thunderstorm to produce lightning in the middle of winter, that's, you know, signs that it's going to be a, you know, pretty strong cold front, which would be a, be replaced by a cold air mass, which if, in, if all things came together, obviously you get snow within 10 days, but in winters like this, that doesn't work out. But, but yeah, that, that is, a, you know, among weather folklore set, circles, that's a pretty famous weather phrase in the wintertime there. And it, has, and it has some scientific fact to it. That, that is, that's probably one of the most common ones that we hear. Another one, uh, maybe the woolly worm, maybe uh, certain animals, you know, when they come out, the groundhog, obviously. Uh, but uh, the woolly worm is another one. Kind of tell us a little bit about that. And then um, kind of going into what inspired you to, to maybe go down the weather folklore. What, what made you want to learn more about it and, and write a book about it? Yeah, well, yeah. let me tell you that story first. Um, and I, I think... Um, you know, I grew up in the city, not out in the country, but uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't spend a whole lot of time out in the woods or anything like that. But uh, Dave Murray, uh, who's been in St. Louis for years, he, and he used to be with KSDK, and then he went to Good Morning America for a while back in the 80s. And then, then since then, he's been back in St. Louis at KTVI and still on the air going strong, looking great. Uh, but Dave used to do these little blurbs about with weather folklore sayings. And, uh, you know, and I just found it fascinating. So, um as I, you know, started doing more and more outdoor hiking, my wife introduced me to the out, great outdoors, by the way, when we met uh, in Columbia, Missouri. Um, you know, I, I st I'd started doing research at the various libraries on these weather sayings. And, and over the years, I accumulated more and more of these sayings and, and on my own kind of kept track of, you know, what's accurate and what's not, what's a fun one. And the one, you know, what's one that actually has scientific reasoning behind it. And so, you know, I gave many weather talks over the years, and I, I, depending on the age group, I would give you know a different type of talk. So usually with the with the seniors, senior citizens, I would do a weather folklore talk. Well, for years, people, you know, I'd, I'd do my talk, and we'd go over these sayings and have some fun with them. And they would every week they would say, "You need to write a book about this." So finally, about ten years ago, I wrote the first edition, and then this is this is uh, here is the uh, third printing we just had of this third edition, although well, it's actually the second edition. There's only been an update. But uh, this has over 1,600 weather sayings. And as you saw, Scotty, I sent you a copy. Uh, it's kind of like a reference guide. And uh, I've graded them all for accuracy. I've had farmers tell me they keep a copy of this book in their barn. So if their animals start doing something weird, they look it up to see, you know, does that mean that means, does that have something to do with the weather? Um, and so uh, I, I, I did this as a fun thing just to kind of spread the word about, you know, the world, the weather world's not all about just about computers and satellites and radars and all that. And that's great. But, you know, I'd like to say, here's how people back in the pioneer days or the days before radio and TV, here's how, you know, some of the things they use uh, to come up with their weather forecasts there. And uh, I donated every penny of the sales of these books to, to local charities here in Louisville. And and to date, uh, we have donated over sixty thousand dollars to wow, to, um, awesome. to uh, local charities here. So um, we've had fun doing that. So that is the that's how I got into the folklore thing. And uh, you know, and I've, I've you know done these phrases on the on the air for years. You know, maybe once or twice a week would have a fun one. And but and the thing is, though, I found out people remember stuff like that. You can get on TV and say there's high pressure over Ohio, and they're not going to remember that. But if you get on there and tell them that. 
uh, if the bees leave the flowers, uh, the phrase is a bee was never caught in a shower, they can sense the rain coming and they head back to be in the safety of the hive before it starts raining, they'll remember that. So, so that's another reason I've always been big on the folklore because it, it seemed, in, in my experience, there's been a very high interest uh, in it from, uh, from the TV viewers. And I like how you have uh, how you graded each one. You're talking about uh, one when uh, talking about goats. You know, uh, <laughs> you know they cry. You know, goats crying at a lot at a sign of, of rain. You know, well and the you yeah, graded B plus. I mean the so, the uh, the lower pressure. A lot of animals uh, lower pressure can either cause headaches or 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 it just agitates them. Even even elephants. Are affected by lower pressure, and the people at the zoo tell me that they can tell when there's low pressure moving in that the elephants are more restless. Uh, the, you know, uh, there's one phrase about cats: uh, "Cat on his brain means it's going to rain." So supposedly, when a cat lies flat on its back, you know, with its head or its brain on the ground, that's supposed to mean they're having a headache, and that's how they're relieving the pressure on their head. And the pressure, and the you know the the headache is being caused by the lower pressure from a weather system coming in, and you know so that's where that came about from. <laughs> Here's another one: if if roosters crow in the evening, it will rain. So yeah, I mean, and I guess you know when you look back, you know when we didn't have all the technology, these were the signs that you looked for to, to see people. People study these signs. Now I'll, I'll I'll tell you straight up though, you know. Uh, the longer range ones, like the winter ones, most of those, to me, in my book, are just a fun thing. Now, by coincidence, some of them may be right more than wrong by a few times, by a little bit. So, in, like in my book here, you would think a long range one for the winter would be a, a grade C, a flip of the coin. Could be right, could be wrong, either way. Um, but there's a few of them I give like a B minus, very few. Most of them are in the C range, a few more even in the D range. Uh, so, the long range ones, but this, there are uh, there are some short range ones. In fact, you know, of these over sixteen hundred sayings in the book, about two hundred actually got a, a letter grade of an A. They are that accurate there. Uh, now let me tell you the most accurate one of all weather sayings. I mean, nothing's ever going to be accurate, hundred percent. Sorry, Scotty, you're not going to be accurate hundred percent of the time. Shay, I you know me. I like to, I tell people kiddingly that I've never missed a forecast, but obviously it's not true. So we're, we're not accurate 100% of the time. And neither is this one. But this one has a good 95% accuracy rating. And it has to do uh, in the summertime with spiders. And spiders, what they'll do in the evening before the sun goes down, 7, 8, 9 o'clock, uh, they'll repair any damage that was done to their web. Outdoor spider. You know, they'll repair any damage that was done to their web during the day. And if they do that, that means no rain that night or the next day. But if they leave the web that evening and move on to new territory, that means it's going to rain. Uh, and a perfect example of this was one year uh, uh, in our backyard, we had this spider and I checked it every night, big giant web, and we were in the middle of a drought. I mean, this went on for like 25 days, the same spider, the same spot every night, sure enough, no rain. And then one night, spider is gone. And the next day we had this huge old thunderstorm hit. You know, wow. coincidence maybe, but uh, I've, I've, I've talked to too many people that have followed this also that have told me how accurate this is. So, so there you go. That's All pretty right. neat. Tell me a little bit about these, the, the woolly bugs you said. I don't think oh, the woolly worms, here. Yeah. yeah. Woolly worms. Yeah. What, what are those and what, what was Scott well, talking well, about? There's, you know, I mean, any, any type of caterpillar people see in the fall, people are calling it the woolly worm. Well, the official one is where it's 
black on both ends and brown in the middle. And the wider the brown band is supposed to signify the milder the winter. And if you look at a woolly worm, it's, it's cut into 13 segments, which would stand for one each week of the winter, 13 weeks of winter, okay? So let's say if you only have four black segments, you know, a little bit of black on one end, a little bit on the other, and this big wide brown band, that would only mean four weeks of cold weather and nine weeks of mild weather. So that would be a forecast, you know, the wide brown band, a mild winter. So that, that is the most common phrase for the woolly worms. And again, it's more of a fun thing. They're not always accurate. Uh, there are several other woolly worm phrases, though. Like uh, uh, if you see like the baby woolly worms out in July or August, that is very unusual to see anything that early, and especially babies. Usually they stay hid. You, more often than not, it's a cold winter after that. Uh, the black woolly worms, if they're real fuzzy or furry in the fall, that's supposed to be a sign of a cold winter. Uh, if you see an abundance of white woolly worms, that uh, is all supposed to be a sign of a snowy winter. Well, that one backfired this year because I had a lot of reports from Louisville up through the Cincinnati area this last fall of the white woolly worm sightings. So all the snow lovers are fired up. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and so... You know, we thought, well, if you, if you believe in that one, it was going to be a, a heck of a winter. Well, we've, we've had less than three inches of snow here this winter. Unless it's all coming in March, that weather phrase is out the door there, at least this time. Like I said, they're not always going to be accurate. Uh, uh, another one is a woolly worm. You know, I said you have the black man, the black on both ends and brown in the middle. Well, around its head, if you actually have two black bands, that's supposed to mean a severe winter is coming up in the forecast. So... There's a number of these phrases. Uh, you know, if woolly worms are out late in the season, like uh, uh, late October around here in our neck of the woods, it's considered pretty late for woolly worm season. If you're still seeing them then, you know, it's going to be a bad winter and, and so forth and so on. So I, I believe there's about nine or ten sayings for woolly worms. And, uh, again, you know, that's, that's one of the – that's probably – the woolly worm is probably famous next to the groundhog. You know, everyone listens to the groundhog, and then before the wintertime, everyone – is uh, listening, well, what's the woolly worm say, you know, for this winter here? So uh, that, that's just a few of the weather sayings with woolly worms there. But That's pretty cool. But again, it's, I emphasize, it's, it's a fun thing. Where the, where the spider is accurate and, you know, is based on scientific fact, based on lower pressure, uh, you know, the, to me, the, you know, as much as I like to get on TV and talk about the woolly worm stuff like that, I always emphasize nothing scientific about it. This is just a fun thing. Uh, but, you know, low pressure... Uh, a key thing in a lot of these phrases, like like birds, uh, when the pressure is low, the birds actually find it difficult to fly at a pretty decent altitude, and they'll stay down. Like before a thunderstorm or a big, maybe a big general low pressure system coming in, birds will stay low to the ground because it's hard for them. Um, and and that's a, that's a real interesting one to watch for is birds. That, that's a pretty accurate there. Birds flying low before it rains. So another one that I really like. This is one of my favorites is if the uh, fish are feeding at the surface, um, hitting the surface for food. And what that is, before a summertime thunderstorm, a slight but a sudden drop in the pressure can release organisms from the bottom of a creek bed or the bottom of a pond or a small lake, and they all these microorganisms float up to the surface, and that's what the fish are feeding on. So instead of these organisms being down on the bottom, the lower pressure has released them and they come up to the surface of the water, and then the fish are attacking them there and feeding them there. So there's That's another, really neat. There's another yes. one for you there. Speaking uh, of and fish. Then, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, speaking of fish, real quick uh, to jump in, one of my favorite 
sayings, being on the coastline, we watch clouds for some of our weather, weather for folklore. Uh, of course, we have the red sun at night, sailors to light, red sun at morning, sailors Safe take warning. Morning. Yeah. Uh, but the other one that I really like to watch for is uh, mare's tails and mackerel scales make tall ships carry low sails. And in fact, that's a true statement for most chances, or most cases. I can show the audience, and that's a common phrase around here, and, and a lot of folks always ask, what are mare's tails? Well, these are mare's tails. I don't know if you can see this or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thin, wispy cirrus clouds are very, very high up. They're made of ice crystals, and this is significant for upper-level winds with moisture moving in at high altitude, and it gives off these little uh, wisps, so they're called mare's tails. Uh, and then if we go for mackerel scales, we're looking for something similar to this. Actually, that might be a little bit too thick. Eh, maybe something like this right here, where you have that's these. Good, that's a good shot there. Yeah, mackerel. Yeah, mackerel scales, and what they are is uh, cirrocumulus clouds. Uh, maybe an upper stratus deck at the most. But if you get these two together in the sky, you can usually count on a cold front coming or some sort of uh, frontal jet heading towards you with with a possible thunderstorm outbreak, and that seems to ring pretty true for us here. Yeah. And I mean, and again, that, that's a perfect example of a scientific basis behind a so-called weather folklore saying, uh, you know, to me, that's, that's such a, a famous saying there. Uh, you know, sun dogs, uh, to me, are another good indicator. Um, for, for someone who doesn't know what a sun dog is, it's a rainbow patch in the sky. It could be off to the left or the right or both of the both sides of the sun. Uh, but the sun has to be so low in the sky. It can't be in the mid, usually don't have this midday, but later in the afternoon or evening. Um, and that's just the sunlight being refracted through uh, the ice crystals and, and uh, you get the rainbow patch. But if, uh, you know, not always, but a lot of times these clouds are in advance of a storm system. So, if, you know, it's the same thing as the halo around the moon. If uh, the winds are out of the northeast, east, southeast or south, expect rain or snow. Yeah, there's a perfect example of a sundog. But, uh, you know, if uh, there you go, you got the, the, the double sundog there. Are you going to show me a triple one now? Yeah, we got <laughs> there, some pillars. One. Yeah, those are, yeah, that's nice. That's some sweet. Rising pillars there. Yeah, so the there others. you go. Um, but um, so northeast to south, the wind's direction, you're almost, almost guaranteed rain or snow within 24 hours. Otherwise, another direction just can mean a change in the weather. So uh, you guys are quick, quick with, the, <laughs> quick with the mouse tonight. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, talking of, of weather scenarios, one that I've always heard is uh, – when you see a snowfall, lay around for a few days. It's waiting for more snow to come. Uh, I know you've got here in your book a lot of uh, different sayings about snow. So uh, for our snow lovers who, who may just want to talk about snow since there's not been a lot, tell us about some of the, uh, some of the tales uh, about snowfall. Well, like here's one here. This one I gave a grade D. The number of days the last snow stays on the ground tells us how many snowstorms there'll be the following winter. Well, um, that that could be you know uh, I, I, I I you know you could almost give that a C but in my experience at least around the Ohio Valley here something like that was actually wrong uh, more than it was right but you know there's like uh, snowflakes uh, increasing in size uh, <laughs> means it's going to be uh, the, the it's going to be a longer storm whereas if the storm if the snowflakes are decreasing in size as as the snow starts it's going to be a short weather system um, let's see if well, uh, here's something that has nothing to do with weather. It just says if the first snow sticks to the trees, it indicates a bountiful harvest the following season. I think all they're indicating on that is, you know, enough moisture for the crops uh, to to uh, to set in like that. Uh, there's are there's several here. Um, again, no scientific basis. Several ways to tell how many days it's going to snow during the winter by the date 
of your first snowfall. You can either take the date and that, and some people say that means the number of days we're going to snow this winter. So if it snowed on the 10th, that would mean you'd have 10 days with snow during the winter. Uh, the, the people who are really into the folklore though, uh, what we do is, uh, we take the, the date plus the number of days, uh, past the, uh, new moon to tell you how many days it's going to snow. You add those two together. And that's supposed to tell you how many days it's supposed to snow uh, during the upcoming winter there. So on that one, if it snowed on the 31st and then like 27 days is the most days you get past the new moon, 58 days would be the most you could get with that weather saying there. And me being a snow lover, I would be ecstatic to have 58 <laughs> days with snow, especially after this winter here where we haven't had any. So well, I had hardly any. Yeah, Louisville, there's a weird one for you. Louisville's had more snow since January 1st than Chicago has. And, and we, since January 1st, we've only had like 2.7 inches of snow. Chicago started off the season very early with a couple of big storms, and then they've had nothing for two months now. Did the so, Great Lakes even freeze over this year? All the way. You know, I no, I and I, I I didn't see the maximum percentage of ice, but Shea, uh, Shea I, I'm thinking that was like maybe uh, at under twenty percent. What was it? Two or two or three years ago? Remember, it was almost a hundred percent. It was like ninety five percent. They pretty it much froze over, and they, it was like Memorial Day uh, up in Lake Superior. And people were on the beaches up there, and there were still chunks of ice floating in the lake up there in Lake Superior. So that, then, in fact, in the end of May, I can remember the middle of the lake still had a water temperature uh, in the upper 30s, which was like uh, in incredible. Yeah, they even had ice shoves, in the ice what they call ice tsunamis and ice shoves, where the, yeah. the warm warm air pushes, and then it's it sounds like breaking glass as it as it comes out of the lake and surges onto land. It's really wild to see. So. Which you wouldn't know about in Charleston there. No, 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 no. <laughs> definitely not. But, here's, uh, one, here's one, John, uh, okay. that, that I read that I thought was interesting about snow, and you gave it a C plus. It's cut a snowball in half. A wet center means rain, where a dry center can only be melted by the sun. So um, I found that one pretty interesting as well. Yeah, that's the, uh, you know, of course, it has to do with the uh, consistency of your snow, but a very wet snow, you know, temperatures can be at or above freezing. Although you can get your big storms with that, um, you know, a lot of times you can get these snowfalls where it's, it starts off with a heavy snow that eventually changes the rain with the rising temperatures, especially, you know, with a warm front moving through. Um, although, you know, here in Louisville, one of our biggest snowstorms ever back in the early 60s, the temperature never even dropped to freezing. We had, uh, it was 33, 34 degrees first week in November, and we had like 12 or 13 inches of snow. Uh, with that one. So sometimes you can even get a big storm where the temperature doesn't even drop to freezing there. So um, one of my all-time favorite ones, for, and this is for people who have a dog as a pet. So they always, you know, I, I gave, I mentioned before how you can predict weather with cats a few minutes ago, but uh, with dogs, my favorite one is, uh, you know, how dogs have a very keen sense of hearing and they can hear thunder before humans can. And so most dogs, both of mine included, do not like thunder and it, you know, they start getting nervous, you know, and what, you know, usually if it's bad enough, a dog gets an upset tummy from being so agitated about the thunder. And this could be before the humans even hear it. And what does a dog do when it has an upset tummy? It eats grass. So like if you're out walking around the neighborhood on a summer afternoon or a spring day, and you notice that several neighborhood dogs are eating grass, that means there's probably gonna be some thunderstorms in your area within the next hour or two. Um, so that's pretty accurate. Doggy I'll, Doppler. I'll have to Doggy make sure not, not, to, not to take my dog for a walk when I, when I look at radar and see something coming. 
Uh, but you bring up, you know, <laughs> speaking of grasses, what uh, weather folklore do you have from vegetation, trees, anything? I've, I heard something about persimmon seeds. Is there anything in fruits? Well, the persimmon seeds is one of those fun deals. You, you cut open the uh, seed and you do this after it falls from the tree. So, you know, in the Ohio Valley, this happens usually late September into late October. Um, you cut the seed in half and there's a white marking on the inside. And it was just, it's in the shape of a fork. That means it's a normal winter. If it's in the shape of a knife, that means the winter winds are going to knife right through you. And then if it's in the shape of a spoon, that's that there. Okay. That's more of a spoon, but it's got a little bit of a point on it, depending how sharp that point is at the top. And then, and the fork would be a little bit, it would look just like this, except it would have a few notches right at the top. It's not going to look exactly like a fork, but you see the not, you know, you see like little notches in the top there. But, uh, but the spoon and, uh, you know, from like from the Ohio Valley on South, the spoon means a, a mild winter, a spoon fed winter. We're up north in snow country. That's supposed to signify a shovel. It means you're going to be uh, shoveling lots of snow during the winter. Not very accurate. Uh, around the Ohio Valley here, 80% of the time we have uh, spoons on our persimmon seeds. But again, it's, it, it's a fun type of thing. We had the, uh, the Louisville Courier Journal uh, uh, did a folklore story this last fall. So uh, the reporter came over to my house and I had her doing all sorts of projects. I had her cutting open persimmon seeds <laughs> and cracking open walnuts and we were checking out the squirrel's nest in my backyard and everything. So it was, it was a lot of fun there. But on the, on the vegetation end, you know, a lot of flowers uh, not all of them, but a lot of flowers will close up before it rains because they want to protect the pollen. Even pine cones on trees will actually close up a bit before it rains to keep the rain from to keep the moisture from getting inside the, the pine cone there. Um, probably the most famous is uh, dandelions. And I, I say that because their dandelions are pretty widespread. Uh, usually 30 to 60 minutes before rain, a dandelion will close up. Or uh, mums. Mums are famous for that also. But I always tell people if you know you're into the big, you know, nice looking yard, always leave a few dandelions in the corner of the yard so you can do your weather predicting uh, with that. Um, the uh, uh, famous weather saying about like the fragrance of flowers before a storm, um, especially roses. And what, what you know, we've heard of the calm before the storm. You need two things for this to happen. You need light winds because any type of wind is going to blow any fragrance away, any of the smells away. So you're not going to. But so like you get this in the calm before the storm, there's no wind. But also as a thunderstorm is approaching, the pressure is dropping and that releases more of this fragrance. And with the light winds, it, it you know, wafts upward right towards you. And you, and you say, whoa, those roses are pretty strong right now. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, here's the storm. Uh, so that that's pretty famous uh, right there uh, with vegetation. So uh, another one, John. Uh, is the leaves? You know, we always say you can tell it's going to rain right. when the leaves flip over. So it's under, when you can that. see the underside of the leaves, and the reason for that is, in in most locations around the country, and there may be some coastal areas where it's different, but most locations around the country, your winds are you know north, west, or south, and not too often are they out of the east. So as a tree grows over a number of years, you know the the leaves form a certain direction. Well, all of a sudden, if you get a uh, well, sometimes it can be an inflow before a thunderstorm, but more common is a, you know, just a general low pressure. If you're in the right location, you're going to get a broad easterly flow, and these leaves are all showing the undersides. And then you know, if you're getting an easterly flow with a low pressure system, odds are you know, that you're going to get a steady rain coming in you know, fo you know, following the, 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 uh, you know, the east wind starting there. 
So that's a, that's a pretty famous one there uh, with the leaves there. So you never know where your next forecast is coming from. <laughs> that's true. And another one that I was reading through and I was like, what the heck is this? Uh, you're talking about hedge apples. In your oh, book. yeah. Yeah, call up a picture of a hedge apple there. Um, it's um, And I've never really heard of anybody eating these. I know horses like them. They're also known as Osage oranges. And I, I say it looks like a, a green human brain. Um, but it's these fall um, during October. Couple of, a couple of weather sayings, which are not – okay, you got, you got it coming up here. Yeah, I see it there. Um, there they are. There's the hedge apples. Um, now, if it's a plentiful crop, that's supposed to mean it's going to be a, a rough winter. We had very few hedge apples this around here in my neck of the woods this fall. So that was that the hedge apples predicted the mild winter exactly right. Uh, also, the size of the hedge apples, if they're very large, that's another sign of a cold winter. And in reality, you know, a lot of these winter weather sayings are more of what's happened in the past, what have been the weather conditions in the spring and summer that have produced this size fruit or helped the pollination conditions. But anyway, that, that just passed along the winter sayings on that. Now, here's where the hedge apple, though, is useful for you. If you take a hedge apple uh, after it's fallen to the ground, if you cut it in half, and take it in your house and uh, set it on a piece of wax paper or a foil. Uh, let's say you have spiders uh, in your closet or down your basement or whatever. You can set that there, and it will get rid of all the pests, all the insects and all the spiders. Um, if you have, like, you know, some people have bugs under their bed even. I've had people tell me, yeah, they cut their hedge apples open and put it under there. And it, it's good for about a week or so because after that, they start to get rotten and you have to get rid of them. So that is your – see, you're not getting only getting weather tips here. Uh, from the Carolina Weather Group, you're getting household tips uh, with, uh, also to get rid of bugs there. Uh, unfortunately, that only works in the fall for about one week, you know, after they fall to the ground. But uh, if it was, you know, too bad we can't bottle up. Maybe you can bottle up whatever's in the uh, hedge apple plant there and uh, and use it. But uh, here's your spider. Another story there. I think I got your spider coming up that you were talking about earlier. Um, it looks like a golden orb or garden spider. Some people call them banana spider. There's different uh, versions of it, but I'll share this. There's all kinds of little sayings about spiders and webs. So, yeah, th there's a, there's a lot in there, and I like the uh, uh, the uh, oh the the longer the strands on the uh, spider web is also a sign uh, that it's the weather is going to be good there. Uh, right. The, the frame, one. the frames there. Uh, if you see it like like if a spider stretches stretches maybe between two trees over a very long distance, uh, the big frames are very long. That's a sign of dry weather uh, because they know that if wet weather is coming, it's going to be knocking that down. So why go why go through all that work? You know, making the spider web. Uh, you know, in the fall in the fall, uh, we kind of get like a spider migration. I don't know if you all have ever seen it before, but uh, I've seen it before where there's actually hundreds of spiders flying through the air. They, they, they kind of almost build like a parachute and fly up in the sky and they're flying through the air. And when you see that happen, they, they only do that when there's dry weather. And, and of course, like on a sunny day, you need the thermals to help them rise in height and things like that. But that's a, that's a sign of, of fine weather. I really do not want to hear that. I have a serious phobia. I have a hard time even putting this up on my screen. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Shay. I'm so sorry. But, um, yeah, here, when spiders weave their webs by noon, fine weather is on the way. Uh, so it's just like the spider that I talked about, you know, fixing their web in the evening. They, they knew that there was going to be fine weather that night and the next day. And sometimes maybe if you have some early morning rain and then you, it stops and then you notice the spider is building a web, well, they sense that there's not going to be any more rain following that. So 
you know, the, the, the smartphone has just, just really ruined all of this because we don't have to look for spiders. Now you just get up and call the, call the radar up on your phone there, to, which, which is fine. I mean, isn't it amazing, though, that the smartphone is only 10 years old? It seems like they've been around longer, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Sure does. You can do anything you want with it now. It's it's crazy. It is. Well, you know, like uh, uh, they were telling me. I mean, I've done a blog for years. I kind of do it part time now. I used to like I used to blog like ten times a day, but uh, you know, back then, you know, everyone read the blog on on the desktop. Now they tell me that of of all the things that the station puts out, you know, on the mobile device and then on the website itself, eighty percent of it is being read on mobile devices, whether it's iPads or phones. So, you know, the desktop is uh, becoming a thing of a past uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, people, you know, I've had a number of people I know don't even have a desktop anymore. Uh, they just use a laptop and their phones. Are you using a desktop? Are you two using a laptop or a desktop tonight? I have a laptop. Okay. Uh, desktop, oh, yeah. Cool. I gotta, yeah. I got to have a few monitors to do everything, so. Okay. Yep. Well, you lead a pretty complicated life with trying to cover everything, uh, thousands of miles of coastline and everything else there. Uh, John, one other thing, uh, as I know we're closing in on the top of the hour, a lot of hunters and uh, outdoorsmen uh, here in the southeast, uh, one that I've always heard is about acorns. You know, if they see a, a, a large acorn crop uh, in the fall, they can anticipate a, a cold winter come up. Yeah, and, and again, that goes that goes back to really though. You know, how was the pollination in the spring? You know, so how was the spring weather? But you're right. But that is a very famous saying. And actually, it, it seems to work out a lot right a little more often than not. Also, the um, uh, dogwood trees that bloom in the spring. If you have a very plentiful bloom in the spring, that's supposed to mean a rough winter coming up the following winter. That's in fact that's about your earliest sign for the following winter uh, is your dogwood is the dogwood trees. That's kind of interesting because around here, our, our dogwoods are peak bloom like uh, mid-April in a typical year. This year, it may, it may happen in March, the way we're going here. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but that's, that's your first, uh, first uh, way of um, seeing what the winter might be according to the weather folklore sayings. Um, deer, deer are famous, uh, and like the hunters, uh, uh, my father-in-law was a big hunter, and like uh, deer coming out in the open a lot more. And there's a lot of animals like this before rain or especially before a snowstorm. Uh, rabbits, you'll see rabbits a lot more out in open, you know, getting food. Uh, or uh, deer come out in the open a lot more. Uh, looking around, you know, if it snows, everything's going to be covered up for, you know, several days maybe. Uh, birds, uh, if you have bird feeders. Uh, uh, and I've noticed this many times. Uh, the day before, oh, Syracuse has just beaten Duke in the last <laughs> second shot, 78-75. Sorry about that. Um, and, but anyway, the birds will be in a feeding, feeding frenzy, feeding frenzy. Try saying that fast five times. Uh, the day before a snowstorm. Um, so, and, you know, they're, they're stocking up there. Or even the squirrels. I mean, the squirrels, same thing. So these animals can sense it when there's a, you know, a major weather event coming, and uh, you need to keep an eye on them. Uh, you know, and like you said, a lot of the hunters have noticed these things over the years. And so we're, we're just trying to get the word out there. Are you watching that Duke game now? I am. I just, I, just, I just saw the shot there. <laughs> Wasn't that? Crazy. Good finish. <laughs> that was a good Car finish. Carrier Dome ha can hold more people than any other uh, college home. I think they can seat 35,000 for basketball there. It looks like they had a full crowd tonight. So. Now they're storming. <laughs> Excuse me. They're storming the court. So, um, uh, But, yeah, uh, John, I, I know we're closing in on the top of the hour, so I don't want to keep you longer. Um, 
I know you probably have other things to do, but is there any other folklores or anything that we didn't cover about that you really enjoy talking about? Uh, one thing that I've always heard, and uh, I, I don't know if it's just a North Carolina thing or what, but it was talking about foggy mornings and in, in, in late summer, early fall kind of dictate, you know, how many snow days you may see. Two months to go by on that. Uh, the, the main one, the most famous one, is you count the number of fogs in August. Um, and if you take it literally for what the phrase says, it, it tells you how many times it's going to snow. The way I like to look at it is, uh, you know, the more fog you have or, and the thicker these fogs are, if you have several days with dense fog during August, that means it's going to be a snowy winter. And the same thing goes with October. It's not as famous, but also you check the number of fogs uh, during October. So, uh, and, and again, that's one of those, no sci you know, no scientific fact. Just uh, trying to come up with a fun way of the winter. In fact, one of your earlier one, earliest ones for the winter, uh, in like in July, you check the ant hills, uh, see how tall the ant hills are in July, and uh, if they're really tall, it's supposed to be a bad winter. If they're really low, it's supposed to be a mild winter. Again, crazy, crazy stuff. There, the the one that I found that's probably the most accurate. And again, this may be by coincidence. Two of them, two of them. Okay. Uh, below the, uh, the hornet's nest. Hornet's nest actually before a cold snowy winter will actually build their nest lower than they will. They'll build it up higher for a mild winter. And uh, that has shown a pretty, you know, it, you know, maybe 60% of the time, maybe 70% of the time, it may be right. Are you, um, uh, yeah, I had, I had a, a earlier. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, there it is right there. From the old farmer's almanac. Uh, and then the other one is the leaves on the trees. Um, the, the later in the fall they stay on, it's supposed to mean the colder the winter is going to be. And, you know, and this fall was a really an interesting example of that because in, around here, the, the leaves stayed on the trees like about two to three weeks longer than they usually do. And so the, and the, the basic reasoning on that is then, well, if you have a warm fall, things are going to flip around to a cold winter. And that's where that all came from. Well, we, our warm fall has stayed right, warm right in the winter in most locations. So, yeah, again, not always right. But, uh, uh, Shay, I'm glad you brought that Old Farmer's Almanac up here because back at the beginning, you know, they, they, there's the Old Farmer's Almanac, which sells a lot of copies, and then there's the Farmer's Almanac, which is not quite as popular. And they both come out with their winter forecasts. And this year, they've never been more different from each other before. So I've been saying, I'm talking about this since last fall, that this is, this is the year of the battle, the winter of the battle of the almanacs to see who's the most accurate. And I'll tell you what, the old farmer's almanac had most of the country mild. Um, if you Google farmer's almanac, just Google farmer's almanac winter forecast. And there's some, there'll be some images. Check the images on that. Um, they, I mean, like for the Ohio Valley, the, the, the farmer's almanac said we we're going to be like, one of the coldest winters ever, basically. They, I don't know what phrase, I don't remember the exact phrase. Whereas the old oh. farmer's almanac said it was going to be mild here. I think it was, what was it, cold, penetrating cold or penetrating cold? Yeah, it was, it was some, like some that. phrase yeah. that I, I think put out of my mind because, yeah, okay, there's, I think that's the, yeah, there you go. Look at that. Look how, look how much of the country. Now, yeah, they blew California where they said dry. They missed that. But it's been very snowy in Washington and Oregon, most of the country. Yeah, the Northwest has been kind of chilly, but it's been warm over just about the rest of the country. It looks like they missed the snowy in the Appalachians. The snowy was good for Chicago before Christmas, but after that, no good. But but generally, the the mild. Uh, I, I'm keying in on that. And if you go, if you look at the Farmers Almanac for the upcoming winter, they had like 80 percent of the country with a with a cold winter. 
So, um, so hats off to the old farmer's almanac. They win the battle of the almanacs. Um, for it, I guess it's kind of like the battle of the bands. Battle of the almanacs. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, Thanks for following that map up there. I appreciate that. Oh, sure, sure. No problem. All right. Well, John, uh, anything else you want to cover tonight? Uh, I do want to say this is a great book. If you, uh, if, if any of our followers or listeners uh, want to get it, uh, I will let John here in just a second tell you how you can do that. But not only does uh, does it have weather folklore in it, but it also talks about, I mean, we have a wind chill chart, a heat index chart. Uh, talks about the, the enhanced Fujita scale. Uh, estimating wind speed. I mean, it's all kinds of weather stuff. And, 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 and really, and it's it's not for the scientific person. I mean, this is a real bare bones person that has some weather interest and, you know, but doesn't know the inner goings on, you know, besides the folklore, but the, the things of the back of the book, like you just mentioned, things of interest for your average weather person. I mean, we, we know all about all that stuff, but there's some people, they're still, I mean, I'm still amazed at the number of people who still don't know the difference between a watch and a warning. Even to this day, uh, it, it still surprises me there, but it's all there. And I'll tell you what, uh, I mean, we, we still have uh, some books left, not a whole lot, but if anyone's interested, because they do make great gifts for a person who is interested in weather, uh, just email me, jbelsky, the letter J, belsky at hearst.com, H-E-A-R-S-T. Um, and then I'll get back to you the information on the address and and uh, who to make the check out to because we are we are making the checks out to different charities and stuff. So uh, jbelsky at hearst.com uh, if you're interested in that. And listen, I, I, and uh, Shay, I'm, I'm jealous of you in the Charleston area because you've got the total eclipse coming. <laughs> Let's see. The six months was on Monday. It was Monday from six uh, six, six months from Monday. So that's right. We're under, under twenty six right. weeks now. But um, here it goes across southern Kentucky. Um, so I'm going to go down. In fact, in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, it's the, you know, the e total eclipse will be at its longest point anywhere in the U.S. Like two minutes forty seconds. So like all the hotel rooms there have been sold out for over a year. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go somewhere. I don't. If I have to drive seven hundred miles, because you never know. If, wouldn't it be horrible? You wait decades for this. I'm an astronomer, you know, amateur astronomer, so I'm so big on this eclipse. But wouldn't it be horrible to wait decades for this? It's it really, I'm calling it the event of the, of the lifetime in the sky, and you had, a, you know, a band of thunderstorms or something coming through and you missed it. So if I have to drive at 700 miles or more that day, I'm going somewhere where I have to see this eclipse in person. So I may end up in Charleston because I know hey, you're, you're, yeah. you're getting it right in your area there. Yeah, so. look me up, look me up. Yeah, sure. my wife and I joke about rent, renting our house out for about yeah. oh, 20,000 a day. <laughs> John, you can join me. I've already reserved one of the rooms in Shay's basement. So we'll, we'll just uh, we'll just watch it from, from Shay's house there. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that that's going to be an awesome event. You know, like you said, once in a lifetime and hopefully uh, the weather will cooperate that day. Actually, in 2024, or 2025, there's supposed to be another one. I know it, go, it doesn't go through the southeast, so it'll go from like uh, Arkansas through southern Illinois up through Indiana. In fact, uh, one more thing, a weird trivia here for you. Uh, the only city that has totality with this eclipse this year and the one that's in 24 or 25, I can't remember which year, is Carbondale, Illinois. They get total eclipse with both eclipses, or is it eclipse I? I don't know. But Anyway, they get totality with both of them there. So like in Louisville, I think with this year's one, we get 95 or 96% coverage. And then with the one, the next one, we get like 98. So we're oh so close, but not quite there. But uh, What can you wear to watch the eclipse nowadays? Last, I remember when I was a kid, we did science projects where we actually made a little light box where you would look down yeah. into it and you could see the reflection up into the sky, but it wasn't directly looking at the sun. Right, you can still so do what that. Are you, what, are you, what are you suggesting to your audience to wear for this eclipse? 
Well, I mean, you can do that. Uh, even a mirror, you can project a mirror on a surface, and that you'll be able to see the you know the the uh, the sun uh, being cut out by the moon there. Uh, I, I like your point though. Just a simple box uh, with the with a little pinhole uh, is the safest way. I mean, you can get welder's glass, but really, until that goes total, you shouldn't be uh, you know looking at it. I mean, in the, back in the old days when I used to have a telescope, I had a reflector telescope, and we would set it up and project it onto a big white poster board. You get a big shot of the sun where you see the sunspots, and then the eclipse you know, would gradually cover it up. But not everybody has a telescope, so that's, that's kind of hard to do there. But, uh, or, you know, just uh, I'm sure on TV they'll have all sorts of filters and stuff. I mean, I th really, uh, it's, it's going to be an amazing day uh, across the country that day. And it will be interesting to watch, for areas that go total, watch the animals. They'll be, you know, the, they'll be uh, preparing for bed, wrapping things up, and, uh, and they'll, they'll think nighttime is coming. Um, there's been, that's been written about many times over the years during these total eclipses. Uh, you'll be able to see some stars come out uh, in the, you know, when we're in totality there. You'll be able to see the planets. So um, it's going to be awesome. You tell them kind of fired up about this here. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely the stuff of legends. I mean, the Mayans, what, boy, you can... You know, you, you look back at, at, at Mayan history or Egyptians, anyone, it's it's bigger than what we know. It's, it has a lot of significance in the past and also down the road. So we're um, we're looking forward to seeing it here in Charleston. Glad that we are ground zero for the best view. I mean, it literally, the line is right through us and we're the last place in the United States that will see it. There you go. There you go. I, 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 perfect spot be on the beach and have the e total eclipse while you're sitting on the beach. That would be awesome. Hey, listen, you guys are awesome. Thank you for what you do in the world of weather. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things going on out there uh, with weather, a lot of good people, and uh, I'm glad to uh, be included with you guys with this. Uh. Well, John, it's been a pleasure. We, we've enjoyed having you, and uh, I know we were wanting to do a show about the eclipse a couple of weeks before it happened, so maybe we can uh, get you back on it and have you uh, come on and be one of our guests to talk about it. And, sure, sure. Uh, We'd love to have you anytime. Just talk weather. It's been such a, a pleasurable uh, hour here. I, I really enjoyed it. It went by fast. Time flies when you're having fun. That it does. That it does. So we appreciate. Uh, before uh, we log off tonight, I'll let you, uh, if you want to, maybe promote your uh, Facebook or Twitter or, or how uh, our yeah, folks can. You can follow uh, me on Twitter. I, you know, I gear more toward Louisville, but I, I do, do often tweet about, you know, national storms and weather occurrences of interest and, in astronomy events and stuff like that. So it's uh, uh, just John Belsky, WLKY, at, at John Belsky, WLKY. You can find me on Twitter. Um, on, on Facebook, probably, uh, I, I just usually do stuff with uh, WLKY weather or WLKY news. Uh, in fact, I'll do a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I do several live Facebooks a week now. And uh, they'll be on either one, but usually when they're live, they're on the WLKY news site there uh, to reach a lot more people. And, uh, you know, it, Again, usually it's it's more geared toward our area. Although I did a video a couple of weeks ago on the latest California drought numbers. You know, you never know what I'm going to talk about there. We'll get some graphics up there, so uh, check it out, everybody. But uh, yeah, give me a follow on Twitter. Uh, we we I, I love people's photos and stuff like that. We we'll always retweet them, get the word out, and everything. So awesome! Well, definitely, uh, thank you for coming on tonight, and uh, we'll get uh, we'll get some information about your book on our on our website and our Facebook pages, and uh, definitely. Uh, have our show uh, playing over so folks who uh, didn't catch it be able to kind of learn a little bit more about weather folklore. So we really appreciate having you on and look forward to having you on uh, very soon. All right, Shay, Scotty, it was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Been a pleasure. Sure. All right, thanks a lot. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks for watching tonight. Uh, next week, we kind of kick off a National Weather Podcast Awareness Month. Uh, there's been a lot going on, and I've been out of town. I know Shay's been busy with a lot of stuff. So uh, join us next week. We'll have a little bit more information about uh, the whole uh, the whole month of March and kind of uh, talking about that. But uh, a lot of great weather podcasts uh, on board with this event, and I'm uh, looking forward to being able not only to promote Carolina Weather Group, but also all the other great weather podcasts. So I look forward to that. We start off next week with Bill Murray on next Wednesday night. Uh, we all do have a schedule change. It's going to be 9 p.m. instead of our normal 8 o'clock uh, time frame. But uh, not, next week at 9 p.m., Bill Murray, who uh, is on the Weather Brains with James Spann and Rick Smith and uh, Kevin Seeley and all those guys at Weather Brains, Bill Murray will be joining us. Uh, to talk to us uh, next week. And then the next two weeks, Shay, uh, let's see, what do we have on the 8th? I can't remember. I think we had a buy on the 8th, and we were kind of waiting for the Weather Podcast uh, Awareness Month to be ingested into someone's podcast, or we could have someone on our show. But I think right now the 8th is a buy. And then uh, the following week, we have John Jensenius, who's the expert on lightning from NOAA. Uh, that'll be, boy, I tell you what, that was a long waiting list. We, I put him on the list about eight months ago. So we're now just now getting him. He's the, the foremost expert for getting out information about lightning strikes. If, if you want to know how many people have been hit by lightning, all the different details about that. Uh, he's got all that information, but he'll be, he'll be discussing uh, severity and safety awareness for it. And then the week after that, we are going to have Doug Marcy with NOAA uh, Coastal Service Management here at the Charleston office. He works here. And we'll be talking about coastal flooding and the sea level rise issues that we are starting to see along the southeast region and other areas of the east coast. So uh, pretty pretty good couple of shows. I think the sea level rise one uh, is going to be pretty tech. It's going to be pretty tech savvy here. It's not. Uh, there's going to be a lot of information uh, about sea level rise that uh, are going to be explained in products that we'll have to do a little bit of research on and, and sort of try to make sure that the transition to show is for all audiences. It's going to be, it's going to be a really interesting, very interesting stuff coming up. Yes, sir. And I did look at the schedule. We have actually Ryan Hickman on from Allison house, um, radar scope. Uh, a lot of people have that on their phones. Uh, Ryan's going to be joining us on the eighth. And then we end oh. up the, we end up the month with uh, Stormfront freaks. Uh, Several of those uh, panelists will be joining us at the end of the month as we wrap up the Weather Podcast Month. So exciting month ahead for us in March. And again, we thank John for coming on tonight. Really interesting show. Really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. And I can't say it enough. Uh, if you haven't already, go out and uh, pick up uh, Backyard Weather Folklore. And uh, it's a great book. And just a, a nice little guide to, to kind of just look at. In the back, you can pick out, you know, if you want to, See what the fish are doing. You can look up fish, and it tells you all the different, uh, all the different folklore and information about fish and weather and stuff like that. So, uh, we appreciate John coming on tonight. We appreciate you watching us. Uh, we can't wait to uh, see you begin back here next week at 9 p.m. It's not our eight o'clock time frame. It's going to be 9 p.m. next week with Bill Murray from the Weather Brains. You guys have a great week and stay safe.